Welcome to another Cyber Eataville podcast. Uh, super glad you guys could join us today. We have a special guest with us today. His name is Derek Adair. He's a friend of mine. We go back several years and, and Derek is a bit of a poker aficionado. So today we're going to talk more about poker probably than anything else really. But we're also going to relate that to things like tactics and strategy and, and maybe how you'd approach uh, your business or if you think about cybersecurity, your program is essentially kind of like a business within the business. So we're going to use that to just sort of uh, think about these topics in, in other ways. Um, and, and probably over the, the next several podcasts or, or uh, this year, we'll kind of revisit this thought of gaming, you know, as kind of an underlying uh, silver lining thought thread, if you will, in, uh, in how you approach uh, managing your program or even your career or your business. Uh, anyway, Derek and I go way back uh, to when we were both sitting at a coffee shop in Boulder, enjoying some very good coffee. And uh, we started chatting on a pretty regular basis. Uh, I think you were in there doing like what software development or something back then? Yeah. So uh, I started uh, contracting in 2007 uh, while all my friends were in college, I, <laughs> I dropped out and, uh, started programming for money. <laughs> yeah. And at that point I was, I was basically, uh, working out of, uh, Ozo coffee in Boulder. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's really what I used a lot of, uh, as, as a way to meet clients really. And just like network in general. Yeah. I mean, we, uh, I remember we were just kind of ended up sitting in the, in the same area of the coffee shop and, uh, you know, it just became sort of a natural thing to, to introduce ourselves. And, and then we started talking. Actually, I think I remember what, cause I really, <laughs> I, I remember exactly what made me talk to you and it was your security screen. Oh, and I remember being yeah. like, okay, this guy's definitely some kind of nerd. You I was going to say, like, he's, totally. uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, he doesn't even want, I was just like, what is it? For, first of all, I'd never seen one. Uh, also, interestingly relevant to the, you know, the theme of this podcast, security. That's kind of cool. Uh, it's funny you bring that up because I, I think eventually I had to retire that one and I got another one, but I didn't use it as frequently. And you just brought up something really interesting and that thing created a lot of conversations. So I'd use it when I was traveling. And people are like, you know, what's going on? It's got this yeah, sort of this reddish glow. Yeah, exactly. So many a time I struck up a conversation just because of my screen. That's, I didn't even think about that. You know, and Gina, this is sort of a side to you. This is, this is why our new business card is going to be so cool. Um, it's, it's just the conversation that strikes up. Back then I had a different business card. So I started this business with a friend of mine and, or, or I joined him, I should say, in his company. Uh, for, for a few weeks. And then I started my own company, but he had this cool business card and it was, it was really the same as a usual size, but it had two round corners and two square corners. And then on the back, it had these waves in a binary pattern. I can't remember what the binary stood for, but it was, it was definitely a slick card, like cool writing. You'd bought the font, all this sort of stuff. And it, it was a lesson in how important that first impression and having something like that to sort of engage and, and have a conversation. So we'd, We'd show up, and in fact, I had a business associate here, you know, in Denver, and uh, she had a white card and I had a black card, and we'd come and we hand this to a customer together, like just sort of almost like a you know Japanese ceremony in a sense, and we'd spend ten minutes talking about this business card, and it's an impression that you know just that usual uh, white and you know with some colors on it, a Vista print business card, you know, with a with a perforated edge on it. It just doesn't have that impression. So it's cool that you bring that up. All right. Well, one of the things, and we just talked uh, what last week, I think it was, and this gave me the idea for this conversation. And that was that you, uh, as, a, as a hobby or almost like a semi, <laughs> semi-pro hobby, I don't know what you call it, but you I like to say play. pro. Uh, <laughs> I'm a good head that player. Way. <laughs> I've taken many a friend's dollar. <laughs> They were friends. Now they're not. Now, now I'm just not invited to their poker games. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So I thought it'd be fun to, to just have a, a conversation around poker. Mm -hmm. So let's just jump right in. Like, tell me a little bit about your journey. Like, how did you get started and what fascinates you about it? And well, 
back in, I think it was again, like 2007, my girlfriend's mom was really into online poker full tilt. And she would just like, let us play with her account and, you know, just kind of naturally went from there. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I, I'm a gamer, right? So I'm a game. I love playing games. I love, I love learning games. I love, I love I'm very competitive. You've designed some games too, haven't you? Or made like an online, I don't know. Yeah, I, I've definitely, I've definitely thought of games. I've wanted to build games. Um, I, my friends and I used to mod video games. Yeah. Uh, we, used to, <laughs> we used to make maps for video games and just do all kinds of really nerdy stuff. Is this, am I allowed to swear here? Am I, yes, absolutely. That? Hell yeah. This is not a clean podcast. So yeah, send your kids uh, out of the room if you're listening right now. <laughs> So yeah, I, I'm just always like that's that's what I love to do. I love learning strategy and tactics. And after a conversation, I kind of realized that's you know a parallel that is drawn between you know a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of my fascination, really, with uh, with gaming, with poker, and so on and so forth. It's not, you know, you could say there's probably even strategy and shoot 'em ups and stuff like that, but um it's the mind side of it right so you know sort of the the chess aspect of it or whatever mm -hmm. the the thinking beyond what's immediately in front of you so i guess even in a shooter you know first person shooter it, you probably like the better players are you know think about where they're moving to and where things are and so on and so forth i, I used to play doom in college you know and it was <laughs> it was pretty just you know whatever was right in front of you you shot at uh, and of course, those that, uh, you know, this was all hooked up to uh, to the school computer, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got time on the school computer. So that, <laughs> that, what you're talking about, just whatever's in front of you, we shot at, that's tactics, right? Yeah, exactly. So a lot of exactly. people, uh, you know, there's a really fine delineation between strategy and tactics. So strategy is the plan of action mm -hmm. and tactics are the individual actions yeah, and yeah. decisions and actions that you make in the moment. So when you're playing Doom in, in college, you're just living in the tactical realm. Just like, <laughs> yeah. what do, what's there? What do I got to, who do I got to kill? So in a sense, that's true. And particularly when you're starting out, and that's kind of where I think, you know, that that's at least my, my sort of initial thinking about first person shooter. But the strategy does come in. Like once you play Doom for a while, you're starting to think about getting to next levels and whatnot. So now mm -hmm. you're planning out how to, you know, what your tactics are going to be so that you make it to that next level. So now we're shifting into that strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. Anyway. So uh, one of the games I was obsessed with is chess and really similar to poker in a lot of ways. And when I first started I at chess.com, I really focused on my tactics. I signed up for a premium membership. And I went from like a, you know, like a 900 ranking to about, I think like a 1400 in about six months, maybe of just grinding out tactics. But then I hit a wall and I sort of had to do some, take a step back and research the theory and the strategy behind the different tactics I was using. And I think that's like really parallel to business in particular and really programming in general and development, right? Like when you're first learning out, all you're focused on is, you know, hello world. How do I even get this to run? You know, mm -hmm, what, mm -hmm. you know, what, what is this thing even, how does it move? What is it? Where does it go? I think that analogy, as you described to, to business and, you know, more, even more specifically security, that's often where we engage with companies as we go in, in there and they tend to be focused with tactics or even reactive, right? So they haven't even developed their tactics necessarily, but it's not, they're not thinking about how they want to mature, you know, their, their cybersecurity program. They're not thinking long-term and much of what they do is, is sort of based on what's right in front of them, like what's coming at them. It might be, you know, responding to threats or responding to what management's asking for, or, you know, maybe there's a vendor that has a good relationship and is in there regularly kind of just sort of pushing product and they might buy stuff because, Hey, it sounds cool. looks cool. The vendor says it does a lot of stuff. So yeah, we should buy that, but they're lacking that big picture. And I like, I like the fact that you, you know, use that chess and say, I, I spent all this time focusing on tactics and then you hit a wall. Uh, I haven't even thought about talking to organizations about that, that, you know, you hit a wall with that approach. You got to change your approach or the, the program really doesn't, you know, change. 
again, strategy is is the plan, the long-term plan of actions of, of the, the long-term plan of what tactics to win, use when, right? Yep. You know, again, when you're playing chess or, or even poker, right? You're like, you're sitting there and you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them, you know, like they hate to be cliche there, but like, yeah, yeah. Beyond just like, Hey, this is a basic thing you do in poker. You know, uh, when do you do it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not your only tactics, but there, it's not like it's that complex either. Right. There's a lot of sort of, well, so what's interesting about poker in particular, I think this is a very close parallel to technology in general, is that it has evolved. If you were good at poker, even in 2010, even in 2014, it's changed. The game's moved on because wow, solvers happened. It, it is a 100% different game. So in 2010, up until like until machine learning hit the scene and people started crunching millions of historic hands and also simulating hands. Uh, okay, so they took all of the data set of the entire data set of every recorded poker hand and they started having AI analyzing it. And then they started having AI play each other based on different strategies that they had. So in the 80s and the 90s, it was, you're playing the guy in front of you. You look them up and down. Does this guy have it? Yes or no? You're looking at body language and you tra- if you played with them before or seen them play, you kind of, you, you might have some intel on how they're going to mm-hmm. behave depending on their hands. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, in, you know, around 2000, I don't know exactly when it happened. This was like right before I started playing, people started thinking about the odds and playing, okay, what are the odds that I have? So strictly odds. I don't care what the other guy's doing. I'm just no, no, playing it would games? include it would include that. So it went from I'm playing the guy in front of me to I'm playing the hand I have and the hand that I think the other person has. And now around like 2014 or 2015, when all these these algorithms started coming out, these computers ended up playing a range of hands that I could have in this situation, how would I play this number of hands Mm -hmm. versus uh, how would the opponent play this number of hands? So now you're not only having to keep track of the the possible hands that I could have, but you want to play against the possible hands that your opponent could have. Mm. So as you can imagine, it's it's another layer of complexity. And honestly, like I kind of have trouble doing that. So... That's at the top level, though. Yeah. Like, honestly, like there's still casual players that are playing the 80s style of like, yeah. I don't think this guy's got it. And yeah, some people might be successful at that. But, you know, if you can apply this system, theoretically, you could just absolutely print money at these lower stake tournaments. Um, but I kind of... I kind of am stuck in the 2010s with my poker playing and I have had moderate success. I, I by all, by no means am I a professional though. Yeah. But so, so professionals today, anyway, you're saying they sit there and they're basically in their head sort of playing out different scenarios uh, or, or evaluating. They, when you're listening to, to, when you're listening to, uh, you know, a, a poker strategist talk now, they talk about it in terms of a story. I feel like it's grown in more and more increasingly, increasingly relevant to how you operate a business in a lot of ways, right? Like particularly actually almost like a negotiation, right? Like I'm telling you a story, right? Does this guy believe the story? Um, Am I telling it properly? What, what is this guy trying to tell me? And do I believe it? You know? And so as the uh, cards and the, uh, the hand progresses, you know, the story changes, you know? So like, if I'm trying to get somebody to think I have something, what would I do basically? So you might have a strategy of not playing what you have, but. So something that I'm doing right now in my business is trying to figure out what story I'm telling. Um, So I've been, I've been a stay at home dad for the last couple of years and I'm just starting to ramp up my contracting business. So do I want to tell the story of that? I'm a big company do i want to do i want to kind of bluff that personally i've decided no fake it till you make it personally i've decided no and i'm trying to not bluff and i'm focusing uh as you know hey i'm i'm going to be your guy you know 
And so that's the story I'm trying to tell. And I want all of my products and all everything to be aligned with that story that I'm telling. Mm -hmm. There might be little blocks. So similar, there, like, hey, this is, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, in general, I'm trying to just, just, you know, keep it honest. And I think there's different strategy and different tactics mm -hmm. in business. And when do I bluff? In particular, I, like I said, I, I think that it's really relevant to the negotiation of business um, and in life. Uh, poker, poker is really a negotiation. Like, hey, how much is it going to take for me to get you away from this pot? <laughs> or, uh, or, <laughs> or, hey, this isn't worth it to me to do this anymore. I'm going to fold. I mean, those are your, those are your two key plays. So, so let's go from kind of, you know, basically the first round and sort of work our way through a, a game in a sense, sort of thinking about this uh, maybe as a negotiation or in the context of, of a business. So first round, early stage of business, or you've just started out, like we can even use your business as an example. So you're just trying to, to figure out what's going on. You are trying to keep the ante as low as possible, right? You don't want to put a bunch of money on your, your sort of your first play. You don't exactly know what's going to happen here, right? Sure. So how, how do you play that first round? How do you play a first round of poker? So, I mean, you're, you're basically sitting down and, and well, well, let's back up a little bit. So you're saying in a tournament, you're going to play multiple rounds. Yeah. And so there's actually even a really distinct delineation between a cash game and a tournament game. Right. So uh, when you're sitting down at a cash game, $1 is $1. But when you sit down at a mm -hmm. poker tournament, $1 or one chip is not worth $1. The more that you have, the more chips that you have in a tournament, the earlier the earlier you have, the more that they're worth because you have more theoretical value there. So that being said, I think that, I don't know, I, I'm a tournament player, so I could probably want to stick to that analogy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in a tournament, you're going to play and lose some and play and win some. And the, the objective is to win more than you're losing basically throughout the tournament. Or, or is it? Well, so what I think is interesting is that in, in poker, the strategy, the overwhelming strategy that has been very successful since the 2000s and is still relevant today is you want to accumulate as many chips as possible, as soon as possible. And you can see that with how the, uh, you know, the larger scale businesses operate. It's growth at all costs. That's all they care about is just snatching up as much, as much of the market share as they can. So, so it, back to the poker table though, how do you, how do you do that? Is that winning hands basically? Yeah. So early on, you want to be in poker, the idea, depending on the, you know, the, the, the stakes and the, the structure of the tournament you want to play a, a higher range of hands, right? Like, so if the blinds are lower in your tournament, you can play crappier hands, basically. And you're sort of almost okay. just like, you don't have to risk as much. So the parallel there is, uh, you know, youth, like literally the parallel there is youth. When I was younger, I did not care. I didn't care what yeah, you paid yeah. me. I would take on any project as long as the, I thought it could make me money. Yeah. Now, not so much. I have to be very careful with my time. I have to, you know, sort of near the end of the tournament here, maybe about halfway done for me, hopefully, <laughs> <laughs> in an ideal world. And so you're risking more, basically, at that mm -hmm. stage. Is that right? Like yeah, the you, blinds are higher. Yeah, the stakes so, are higher now. So you want to be more yeah. careful with what you're doing. So that means that you're going to, uh, if your hand comes up bad right out of the gate, you might just fold and, and not lose any more on that game. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, I've, I have no problem telling people to go away if I don't think it's going to work. No problem at all. If I don't, if I, if I even have an inkling of a bad idea, I'm going to pull the ripcord. So early in the tournament, you're, you're being risky. At, now the risk, the, the downside is you could play yourself, you know, down to where you have no chips, right? Yeah. So I'm trying to think about how, like, uh, you know, but, but just, just stay with the poker table. So you're playing any hand. Is it win some, lose some, and then and then you're you're banking on that you're going to win more and build up that pile of chips quickly? Yeah. So well, I mean, 
it's complicated, right? Like there's, there's, uh, <laughs> there's thousands and thousands of hours that you could listen to about people talking about it, but the basics behind poker strategy is trying to think of this would be strategy or tactics. Um, so one of the biggest factors on how you determine what hands you're going to play is where you are at relative to the dealer. So if you're the last one to act, that is a, a very big tactical advantage. If I'm the last one to act, the number of hands that I have are much greater than if I'm the first one to act. When you're the first one to act, uh, you're basically flying yeah, you're blind, flying blind. Right? Like so, the yeah. small blind is the first one to act after the first three. I so just so everybody knows, I like to play Texas Hold'em. I don't know if that's assumed or not. Maybe maybe not. <laughs> but so you get. That's the most you get two face game. cards, and then <laughs> there's typically a small blind and a big blind. And uh, uh, there's a round before the first three cards are dealt, and uh, the person after the big blind is the first to act there. That is probably the earliest and the weakest starting position because you, nobody has done anything yet. You're literally the first one to act in the hand, so you... You, you, the range of hands that you're playing right off the bat is very, very small um, compared to the dealer, which is the last one to act going forward after the small and the big blind act. So the small blind is the first. Yeah, after the after the dealer, and then the big blind is the next. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe okay. if you want to like continue to the business analogy, those are people who already are in the industry, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. The small blind puts in typically half of what the big blind puts in, but that varies yeah, depending okay. on several factors. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, so poker is, is really, you know, similar to business is a lot about, you know, obviously the strategy and the tactics. Now you're talking about this is one hand or, or multiple hands, but it's one round, right? So uh, in that, you know, there's a disadvantage of being the small blind, an advantage of having the last play. Yeah, and that's all like tactical knowledge, right? Yep, yep. And so someone wins that round, right? Or takes, you know, home the the pot. And that's that's the first round. You continue then how many how many rounds do you play like So it depends. Um the tournaments I play are are I like to play slower tournaments because it affords you more uh more time to just like, you know, play a wider range of possible hands. If you lose some some smaller hands, you don't. It's not a big deal. You can come back. Uh, typically, people measure like how urgent they should be in a tournament based on how many big blinds they have. So, if you only have enough for nine more hands, like one revolution of the card, you have you have one big blind. You're not in a good spot. <laughs> <laughs> you're basically you're all all you're you're hoping. Yes. Yeah, so the- <laughs> everything to go your way yeah, or yeah exactly out. so the tournaments i play usually start with like 150 big blinds to 200 and then usually last from like four to 12 hours how many people are playing with you then uh usually like like anywhere from like 40 to like 150 okay wow so it's not like a poker table you see no. online you know or i mean on the tv or no no, no. or in so a vegas casino a, it's a room yeah, usually uh, there's rebuys though, so it's usually like like the smaller turns maybe have like uh, 25 individual people plus, and then some okay. of the bigger ones will have more. Maybe like I think there's like 20 tables. I went in there this last weekend and it was pretty full. But yeah, I mean, and then how how do you how do you end up around like relative to the dealer? Is that uh, coin toss or dice just random? Or how do you end up? The people running the thing just give you a card and then, you know, you'll go find the table. So this is a physical tournament you're in? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, okay, okay. I was thinking it was online for some reason. No, I wish online poker was legal. Oh, my God. Yeah. Thanks, America. Uh, you wouldn't have any time. Get, get your yeah. shit together, government. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. I mean... <sighs> probably a good thing. For me, personally, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I have... Addictive personality, so I choose to direct that, and I'm very aware of my urge to play poker all the time. So I I limit myself. But then, uh, so how many people are around the table then? Nine, always nine. 
Uh, unless somebody gets knocked out, and so there, there came, and then towards okay. the end of the tournament, when there's like odd numbers, yeah, like if there's like twenty five people, you gotta split that up uh, between nine. So, yeah, 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 and much like in life, I mean, if you get, it's I've heard a lot of pros say it's all about if you get a good starting table, you know, if you have somebody yeah. who doesn't know what they're doing and you get all their chips right away. So you have no control over that, Mm-mm. right? You just get plopped down at a table. So if you have someone there that doesn't know they're the mark and you can rake in their chips, mm-hmm. then you start out on a pretty good footing. Which is why I like to talk a lot at these tables. <laughs> I mean, I like to talk you a lot. You try to figure general, out who's... Uh, yeah, I think it's really easy to tell who's who's uncomfortable and who doesn't want to talk versus like, you know, maybe somebody's nervous or like, you know, you can tell really quick who's comfortable at the table by just saying like, hey, nice hat or whatever, you know? So I'm just constantly chatting people up. Interesting. But don't you get like really good players that just simply are all like super- Yeah, exactly. So like if if, if I ask you how you're going and you have headphones in and you don't even look up from the table, I know that you're taking the game pretty seriously. But if if you're sitting there, you know, fumbling your chips and you're, maybe you're quiet there as well, you know, but it's all about, you know, looking at somebody's body language and sort of, yeah. But I've been very wrong before. (laughs) This one guy that I thought was (laughs) an absolutely horrible player has like over 300 grand in winnings. So, I mean, I don't know what he spent, but he definitely won a $200,000. Okay. But again, that's, he won that in 2014. So maybe, maybe he hasn't adapted well. (laughs) What if, uh, what if that's someone's, uh, you know, one of their tactics is to look like they're the mark? Well, yeah, I think that I actually used to do better when I first started because I was really nervous because I'd only played online poker. So everybody thought I didn't know what I was doing, but I did know what I was doing. I feel like I need to adjust <laughs> a little bit. You need to see more no, nervous. No, I, I don't think I can, though. <laughs> I don't think you can. Yeah, it's hard to be. Yeah. yeah. Takes an actor. Yeah. So let's walk through the tournament. I think, you know, then we've talked around what the tournament is and so on and so forth. So let's say it's 40 people and you start playing and then, you know, taking it back to business, you're saying that sort of in that, in the, in the early stage, you're really just wanting to grab market share. Yeah. You're wanting to grab yep. chips. As much as possible, like at any means, especially if, if I can go rebuy, then I'm, I'm going to be very aggressive. Meaning I can just, if I get knocked out, I can just go get the same starting chips. Oh, jump back yeah. in. Oh, gotcha. So, okay. I mean, okay. that's, and some people aren't. What, what does that cost anyway? The tournaments I play are like 100 to $200 usually. Okay. So you get knocked out on the first round, you can mm-hmm. jump back Yeah, and in. I'll usually have two buy-ins, but some people don't do more than one. And some people will, some okay. people aren't even aware that you can do it. I've talked to some newer people that are, I'm just like, hey, <laughs> trying to convince them like, hey, you can rebuy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you want yeah, yeah. <laughs> more money? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, more chips, right? Yeah, from, yeah. From, I think uh, that's pretty analogous to to business as well, right? Like some people, some people have the capital to go all in and just risk it. And so, as you're playing, then, so you get through the first round, you get lucky with a couple of your tables, your starting table. Maybe it's again using business as an analogy. It's a product that you have or the service that you're offering. And it happens to be needed at that point in time. So you grab some initial market share, provides you kind of a basis. So now you can adjust your strategy as the as the game goes by. So now you can be less risky. You want to be way more aggressive. You have way more. You can when you get a good amount of chips, you can be way more aggressive, right? Okay. So how does how does aggression play to your advantage? So you want to make somebody make hard decisions, right? So. Uh, so okay. to quote one of my favorite philosophers, Miyamoto Musashi from A Book of Five Rings, you got to read it if you haven't. It's an excellent book on strategy and tactics. And I find it continually relevant to every part of life and business. And so Miyamoto Musashi was like, I think, an eighth or ninth century samurai. And he was a, like just the best samurai. And uh, mm-hmm. so he wrote a book about called the book of five rings and uh it's basically a book about how a uh, book about strategy and how to be a good set a samurai and so one of the quotes from from them is basically like 
control your enemy don't control or, or sorry you have to first of all you have to control yourself to control your enemy and then basically like you need to control your enemy like hold on i'm butchering this quote i think i have it yeah that's all right ah here we go if you wish to control others you must first control yourself um and then furthermore in the same passage if you do not control the enemy the enemy will control you so this is very yeah. true in poker right and i think it's very true in business as well right like yeah if you are not the one in control then you are being controlled so let's take that into yeah let's let's play that scenario out in business because you make me think about that like how do you how do you actually apply that who is your enemies is competition so use yourself as an example you're jumping out there as a contractor what option do you have to control your enemy you can control yourself but how do you control your enemy so for me when i'm setting up my enemy is my objective right whenever i'm applying any of these you know ideas i think of i think of my objective as the enemy you know like okay. I will, not your competition maybe it's my competition it depends on what my objective is is my objective to beat the competition because you know if the competition isn't relevant to my objective then it's sort of wasted energy mm-hmm. so it really depends on what the heart of that goal is and and you know that that you know that can be many 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 things and uh, again this loops back to strategy and tactics right yeah. And I just couldn't stop thinking about this book. So I looked up a bunch of quotes and one of my, my blog is actually called derekadeo.com. It's called, uh, <laughs> it's called uh, 10,000 things. Um, and it's from a quote of Miyamoto. I'm probably butcher. I am butchering that name. It's from uh, this awesome samurai's uh, quote. And it's from, uh, and I think it's very relevant to this conversation. It's uh, from one thing, no 10,000 things. So when you wait from what from one thing, no ten thousand things. Oh, okay, okay. So so just know that when you're doing anything in life, you can apply the lessons that you've learned to pretty much anything in life. Um, and it's really really about just awareness and and how to apply and, and leverage these experiences. I love that. That's one of my favorite things because I, you know, without necessarily having gone through this, uh, you know, very uh, intellectual uh, journey to arrive at it, it's, it's how I've operated for a very long time. It's leveraging knowledge, applying knowledge constantly, like just over and over again. It's, it's you know, it's like a multiplier in a sense, right? Uh, with Gina here, we talk about this all the time. Like this podcast here, could easily, you know, turn into a blog and sort of spin into to other areas, you know, as as we sort of pick through it and whatnot. Um, probably will come back and and do a separate, you know, one with you that that's focused more on strategy and kind of. So again, there, yeah, definitely, you learn something, you apply it. I love that. Taking it back to the business, so so uh, uh, controlling your enemy, uh, controlling yourself. That seems more straightforward. Mm-hmm. But, but again, to, you know, think through that for, the, for your business, your small business, you've decided that you're not going to uh, fake it till make it, so to speak, mm-hmm. right? You're going to go out there and say, hey, I'm a, a stay-at-home dad and I'm launching myself back out here, right? So take us through that thinking. Yeah, so uh, I just, I, I wrote a little bit of copy of like, oh, Dare LTD, you know, we're doing this and that it's the latest and greatest and i'm just i just kind of realized like i don't even want to attract those types of clients the type of client i want is sort of to put it bluntly like you where i can just talk to you and be like hey i got it give me all of it like you don't need to worry about this your web stuff like i can handle it all and i'm sort of trying to be as transparent as possible with like hey you're hiring me directly I'm not going to be outsourcing this stuff. If you have problems, you come talk to me. I believe that there's great value in that. Like there's a reason why you still use me to host your website. Cause I just, you know, you don't have to think about it. It's just done. Are you, yeah. Are you, are you basically saying I'm going to, I'm going to manage with uh, a smaller number of clients, but then have a deeper, more meaningful sort of longer term relationship yeah. with them? Mm-hmm. As opposed to, yeah, I mean, kind of what, you know, taking it back to the Pope thing, you said in the beginning, you get everything. 
where you are now, that's yeah, and, not the, the exactly. strategy that so, fits. So I'm looking for more low maintenance clients as well, right? Like, so I want somebody who can, like you have with the hosting, trusted me to do it and to just get it done. And it allows me more flexibility and to work more efficiently. So with the right low maintenance clients that are willing to pay a medium price, um, you know, it's, I think there's a little bit of a, a niche there for me. So I had this conversation with a former client and now kind of a partner. We, we both, uh, she works for one of our clients and, but she also brings us into that. Uh, and then we have some direct work with them. And, and we started out, you know, just talking about these things and what we do. And, and we both, you know, kind of talked about this here where it's really nice when you're working with that organization that uh, values you for not just the stuff that you sell them or bring them, you know, but for your brain, mm-hmm. for your thinking, and you become really an extension of their team. And they're not seeing you as this vendor over here that they have to pay, but they see that you're bringing, you know, things to the table that they don't necessarily mm-hmm. have. It's where I love to be, um, where we are uh, thinking, you know, for them and all the time too, right? You, it's not like I'm on the clock. I'm, I'm thinking about you, my client. I, I can't stop myself. Like it's just, you know, my brains just starts cranking. I think is an amazing place to be. And it's when you really uh, are able to add a lot of value to those mm-hmm. organizations. Um, I was telling her, it's like when I'm in there, uh, I jump in, you know, both feet and uh, I think like they do, right? I, I try to really understand their business and figure out what are the things that they would care about. Um, I was talking about um, this uh, bank earlier that is going through sort of a transition. Uh, they've been, uh, you know, providing typical sort of retail banking services in the Midwest. Well, today their new, their, their market that's evolving is younger people and younger people don't want to go into a branch. Uh, they, they want to do almost everything that they ever do with a bank on their phone via text or via an app. And don't send me paper statements. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No paper statements. In fact, I want to do my mortgage and buy my house on my phone, never talking to a bank yeah. or nothing. Don't send me a bunch of stuff. I have to print out, scan, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. And there are banks that are already doing that. So it's kind of that digital documentation, digital everything kind of thing. And, uh, you know, it takes some, it takes some adjusting, but, you know, with them, we, we spend a bunch of time just understanding your business and coming back to them and kind of saying, look, these are the things that we have to do. And I'm going to put into my, I'm going to put myself into, you know, the CISO's shoes in your organization. And I would be, all right, where is our business going? Mm-hmm. That's where I need to look yep. at, you know, uh, that's where I need to be and understand how do I, how do I protect data? Data is going to be much more integrated. It's not nicely inside a, a fence, you know, or, or a wall in my data center anymore. It's going to be stretched across a lot of, a lot of different things. A lot of these capabilities that they're wanting to do are not going to be something they can build and do in-house. They're going to have to leverage third parties. So we really need to be good at managing security when, we don't mm-hmm. have control, you know, controlling your enemy. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that applies or not. Hey, let's get back to the table for a second because we got to wrap this up in not too long. So again, beginning, you're 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 uh, you're, you're basically it's market grab. And if you're if you're successful, you got enough chips to kind of step into the into the next stage. If you're not successful, are you basically out? Um, no. If, if you're not successful, there's a certain level where you sort of have to just tighten up and you know if it's your time to go then it's your time to go and when it is your time to go then you want to go all in and you need to you need to make a commitment otherwise you're just gonna so you're gonna play a weaker hand you're gonna play a weaker hand kind of see if you can grow your your pile of chips and then eventually you just gotta sort of take one big risk and hope that that changes the the yeah i mean it's interesting there's there's it's all situational depending on like the, the the tactics of the exact situation you know you may be you know, it's interesting. There's like, it, 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 it's just always shifting depending on exactly what's mm-hmm. happening. Mm-hmm. But the general strategy mm-hmm. is, you know, once you get to a certain, uh, dip down to a certain level relative to the ratio of the blinds, you're going to find the best hand that you think is possible before the next time blinds come around okay. or before you're just losing more and more and more. And it's worth it to just gamble for, you know, okay, I have a 10% chance to, to double up or whatever. But at some point you're going to be played out mm-hmm. of the game, right? You're going to 
Yeah, right. So so before you're played out, you can at least you know play that gamble. Yeah. All right. So uh you made you made a big pile of chips and now you're you're saying like the next stage you're playing very aggressively. Yes. So you're kind of taking that wave and you're saying I'm gonna you're trying to make people make bad decisions, you know, and okay, and it doesn't matter if somebody somebody steals a little bit of your chips if you have a whole bunch of chips you can just eat the loss and then move on yeah so you play aggressively because you got that bigger mm -hmm. bankroll at that stage and then that causes other people that's that's controlling your enemy mm -hmm. i guess mm -hmm. hey i have a question guys so you know i've played a little texas hold before 2014 just wondering which style you're playing <laughs> i haven't I haven't played in a room with 200 people, but um, like the first time I actually played at a game, I was shocked at my nerves. Like when you get a good hand, like, holy Hannah, I yeah. started shaking on the inside. Like I had like three aces or something. And I and like talk about poker face and how that relates, you know, having mm -hmm. that calm and having that. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, and then you think about applying that to these pros who are doing like, you know, million dollar hands yeah <laughs> hundred thousand yes. yeah, million dollar hands yeah so where do how does stoicness i mean if we're making our analogy here how That's does a good word. i don't know if it's stoicness but you know what i mean you know holding it close to that um how does that play into into poker and then you know business at large i saw this one guy recently like lose a hand and he also made a mistake that he had to like you know sit in time out and miss three hands and so he lost most of his chips and then he had to miss the next three hands. And he was just like fuming. And that just like, you can't make good oh, decisions wow. when you're like sitting there, like, you know, worried about <laughs> what has happened, you know? So that's where a lot of uh, people who are more stoic are good at business. Never make decisions based on emotion anyway. So you touch on something that, that comes in, into my mind a lot. Like I'm definitely... Also, kind of an emotional guy. Uh, I like to be liked. Uh, that's probably my biggest weakness. So it's hard for me to, you know, tell people that they're not doing good or something like that. Like I have a hard time being direct. So, um, so what what pops in in my mind these days is think like a CEO. Meaning, what would a CEO do? And it might not work for everyone, but for me, it means that it's someone that's thinking objectively and rationally. So they're, they're removing themselves from emotion and they're kind of looking at the facts, not thinking about who it is that they'll maybe hurt or harm or whatever. And, and, you know, those things just aren't good. And it's just, you know, it almost comes down to it's about numbers. Is it beneficial to continue or, or should we discontinue? Or is it beneficial to have a direct conversation now or whatnot? So that's this little, you know, voice that comes into my head when I'm faced with those kinds of issues is like, you know, think like a CEO. And it sometimes helps me when I, when I feel that, you know, there's this sort of emotional component to my thinking. Another thing that I do is when it gets, uh, I don't know if it's emotional, but it's, you know, it becomes challenging, sort of stressful to think about. And I don't know what it is. And I'm struggling, like, you know, do I do this or do that, you know, to hire, not to hire, whatever. Uh, it's another, it's another struggle. Um, and, and before I tended to put stuff off, I'd be like, oh, I can't deal with it now. Let me just, you know, put it away. And a lot of things like that, just like a fine wine, you know, or they, they do not age like a fine wine, like make that decision, move on, you know, live and learn from it. And that's where mm -hmm. that little, you know, think like a CEO voice comes in these days. But all right, back to the poker game. We're in the middle of the game. You got a lot of chips. You're playing aggressively. So that, that's, that scenario doesn't really change, right? Like if you can continue to accumulate and maybe get a little lucky, like you just keep going that, that way. It doesn't really change much. What would strange your strategy is if you lose enough chips or you get behind enough where other people start to get a little bit more control, right? So like, look at how Kodak is a good example of this in business, right? Like they had a huge market share, <laughs> yeah, massive. Yeah. They owned it I all. I mean, there was like an entire town in, yeah. in the North yeah. East, I think that was like basically the headquarters of Kodak. They invented the digital camera. Instead of patenting it. Yeah, that's the craziest part, isn't it? They hit it. And now, <laughs> now if you're under 25, you don't know who Kodak is. Maybe even 30. <laughs> who Kodak is. Um, yeah. 
yeah. so yeah like yeah that's the exact uh, uh analogy there now that that's difficult for big businesses though i like i i think you know there were probably people within the business that understood that you know digital imaging was the way to go but uh but this is probably where you get into the sort of the psychology of group think and other things like that where you know somehow the the data aren't necessarily gathered or they're not analyzed and thought about objectively and then like i like to say if it wasn't for people businesses would work really well you know someone is sitting in different decisions and they have opinions and they have you know authority to make decisions and do stuff and unfortunately you know you kind of put all that together and it's not necessarily a recipe that works you know sometimes you get lucky sometimes not i mean many big big businesses might have revenues in the billions but they're not profitable like they have just as much expense as they have revenue big 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 businesses so do you know when kodak invented the digital camera no guess uh i'm going to say maybe like late 80s 1975 holy shit yeah okay that's crazy so somebody invented it before the internet before before computer i don't remember when apple first came out i think that was like the there were apples in the in the early 80s yeah so, uh, like so late late, late 70s i'm guessing it was apple so this yeah. was before personal computing and so it was really just the lack of vision there yeah yeah you know well did they forget about it then yeah no they hit it they hit it yeah. they, the, an engineer invented it and they're like holy shit this is gonna we have an empire of film what we don't want to show anybody yeah. this so even if they hit it that that's the that's the key there i think if you're if you're not able to adapt to the changing environment, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're going to go by the wayside. I think a lot of that's going to happen here over the next few years because everything is changing so quickly. Um, everything from sort of autonomous vehicles to, uh, you know, uh, think about just how much technology is sort of becoming part of our everyday lives and part of industry and all that sort of stuff. So things are moving very, very quickly. And for businesses to adapt and change, that's going to be, it's going to be critical. Um, now, some of that, you know, it happens differently, right? So it get, you get bought up by someone. So you might have been doing something and some company comes along and buys you up and doesn't necessarily mean that whatever you were doing continues. It might be something that sort of dies on a vine within a bigger business. There's lots of stuff that happens like that. All right. So let's go to the, you know, the last few. Uh... So what, what, what often happens more than often than not, you're not going to end up with, you know, Amazon style market share of the poker chips so you know at that point you're you know if you're at the last couple players the higher the the further you go towards the end prize pools will go up exponentially are these games are these tournaments such that like no, no one walks away you're not folding with a certain amount of your chips you're playing till there's nothing left like there's one person walks no away the you whole can thing? negotiate again back to uh, okay so you can leave like you can make it to the last third of the whole they call it chopping the pot so if there's like at any point you can be somebody can be like all right let's all just walk away and we can all just take what three grand you know, relative. or whatever with you yeah. well yeah they'll typically just divide it up depending on your chip share right yeah so that'll happen oftentimes that usually happens up at, at blackhawk in colorado Okay. I I got uh, to one heads up, which is one versus one, which is a completely different game. I think that's probably worth talking about more than like the f- final table and all that is like heads up poker playing, playing Texas Hold'em with just one other person uh-huh. as your opponent is completely different. Yeah. So the dealer is just giving you more cards to play with at that mm-hmm. point. Yeah. Time. It's just, the just not- two people. So neither of you have anything really. Okay. Um, you know, like at that point, you know, depending, obviously it depends on entirely on the, the situation, what you want to do tactically, but mm-hmm. generally the strategy is to play a lot more hands. So you don't let, you don't, you fold. They can have, there. there's only, there's really not that many combinations of hands that somebody could have, you know, I mean, it's just one person. So yeah, yeah as yeah. opposed to, you know, potentially eight other people, which is a lot more hands out there to deal with. Are you then basically making a decision like I've got a better hand than my opponent? And if you do, you try to play that as hard as you can. And then if it's the opposite, you're basically saying I'm going to fold this game out sooner. 
you know, I don't really know how modern poker theory applies to heads up exactly. I mean, I'm, I haven't really studied any of that, so I can't really speak about that. How did you play your heads up game, I guess? Um, I play just super aggressive. I'll just like be trying to. So you're trying to position yourself. Yeah. So you're looking like you got two aces or something. Pushing all of my chips in all the time. Okay. But I think that's really just in general. That's better if you don't know what you're doing. It's not <laughs> to just be aggressive. No, just to just to you want to make as few decisions as possible so you can't make bad ones. Okay. So your decision you is don't I'm, know what you're doing. Okay. So unless unless you have a really bad hand, uh, you wouldn't fold. I mean, again, it depends. You know, it's all it's all it's all tactical and mm-hmm. all situational. But in general you can be more creative as they say. <laughs> cool. Well, Hey, let's, let's wrap this up. We'll kind of figure out a way to round it out. Um, but w- what I would say is my takeaway here is, is this is probably worth, uh, you know, a, a dozen more podcasts and maybe what we can do is like, you know, pick at some of these things and use it uh, as an analogy or whatnot. Yeah. I definitely want to do some more, you know, just talking about strategy and then, uh, you know, pulling it back to security or business or something like that. Maybe, maybe next time, you know, we'll we'll uh, sort of think about some of the the, the different tactics. Um, think about the strategy in a game. We'll kind of pick a game like we've talked about here, and and sort of do some more parallels. So, for example, you know, if you don't like your cards, you know, you're going to fold, right? You're mm-hmm. Most in poker, I guess you can play with a poker face. It's a little bit different, but in management and business, you need to change out your team. You need to change out that piece of software. You need to do a different process, right? You're not going to, you're not going to just sort of, you know, quote unquote, continue with it. Like you might in poker, it's not going to help you there in poker. Yeah. You, you know, if you're, if you're good at that part of the game, you can maybe play, you know, a bad hand till the other guy folds. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but similarly to what we talked about, if you, if you're able to get that market share, you know, you're going to want to preserve that capital. So your, your bad hand, get rid of it, you know, lose whatever the ante is for that round. Mm -hmm. And then uh, on the next deal, you know, you got a a new opportunity. I think we talked about some things like that, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, cool. Well, thanks so much, Derek, for, uh, for joining us today. We'll say on that note. Um, thanks so much for listening Um, hopefully you had some value out of this if you did please share your friends uh, post it whatnot and then uh, nothing else we'll see you here next time have a great one